All right, and we're back with uh, part two of part two of our Great Concavity uh, Year in Review episode, and we're joined this time by Dr. Grace Chipperfield, who was our episode 30 guest, if you remember uh, way back when, about the halfway point of our show's existence. Um, Grace is joining us from Australia. Grace, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. You're so welcome. And it's a it's a very momentous occasion because you've been recently doctored um, mm-hmm. with a PhD in creative writing from Flinders University. So congratulations. It's, we know you've been working hard on that work for <laughs> a long time. And uh, we've both had a chance to read your whole dissertation, which I read over the Christmas break. I uh, just plowed through it in about four or five days and just enjoyed my time wow. so much. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're also, we brought you on as our music specialist friend and our game specialist <laughs> friend. So we'll talk a little about, bit about your year in music, video games, because I know you dig the games as well. Uh, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit on board games, maybe a bit on podcasts if we have time. Um, yeah. And uh, that's kind of our, our uh, itinerary for the rest of the night. So Yay. Sounds good. Cool. Right on. So maybe let's just start quickly by telling telling us a little bit about your dissertation and uh, the kind of I know you've kind of you've changed your topic and you've had like a couple mm-hmm. project redirects and stuff. But uh, where did you land? What was what's kind of the the, the three sentence uh, gist of it? Um, yeah, well, it's a complete change from if anyone listened to episode thirty, <laughs> then it's nothing to do with that anymore Um, but you do talk about the change right like there's a meta commentary yeah Yeah, so there is some follow-through yeah um (laughs) now it's a it's a collection of essays um on david foster wallace and his fans um and the reason that i changed the project as i say multiple times in the thesis is that uh in 2018 when mary carr tweeted about her relationship with wallace and it was part of hashtag me too and everything um i just uh was starting to feel confused about how to continue writing my existing project on him without addressing that. And eventually it just overwhelmed the entire project. Um, and I ended up writing the collection of essays that you read. I don't think that gives a very clear picture of what it's about, but that's awesome. the, that's the premise anyway. Yeah, totally. You know, that, that story of how the topic changed, uh, I was thinking, um, because when you first came to the conference, I remember the, the Dave Foster Wallace conference, from 2014 on um, up until like now basically had two tracks right there were creative writers there and academics like doing academic papers Mm -hmm. and I remember not many people went to both tracks but you did and presented Mm -hmm. creative work Mm -hmm. as well as um, critical work and uh, I'm curious about that if if you felt like that was um, uncommon, if that was natural for you, if you were torn between the two, or are you still torn between the two? Mm. Um, yes, a bit of everything. I feel like what I was doing with the earlier project, I had written the novel length work and I was writing the exegesis to go with it and keeping the critical and the creative um, very separate. And I found that frustrating it felt like neither they're meant to talk to each other and I'm sure that some people do this really successfully but I was finding it hard to make sense of why they were together and it felt like I should have just written a thesis on the critical stuff and then written the novel separately um 
so the essays in the end were like a way to bring both critical and creative together and I feel like that's probably the best solution I've come up with the the two split sides is to just kind of blend them in the in the essay which was a lot of fun um and I don't really know what will happen from here I've started writing fiction again but I also really like the essay format so I think just kind of anything anything goes at this stage but I am yeah I switch between them a lot well, still and you haven't alluded to it but the the actual topic seems really relevant right now, which is about like the inability of U.S. citizens to be like mature, right? Or, or <laughs> immature. The I mean, you explain it better than me, but it's it seems like that's very that much the on previous people's minds project, right, right? Yeah. How would you describe yeah. that again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I feel totally. Um, ill-equipped to say anything intelligent about it anymore i think that um yeah the the thesis topic from the original project seems like still super relevant obviously um but i think that after like yesterday's event i just wouldn't know what to say anymore no i'm not asking you to comment on it per se but like uh, you know i i think correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of that probably comes from the stuff about citizenship in the pale king um, and sort of mm-hmm. the yep. the lesson there, the civics lesson and the stuff about Ronald Reagan and, um, you know, did you get into much of Infinite Jest stuff there, Johnny Gentle? Like there's a lot of parallels I see with Johnny Gentle. But... Um, yeah, Johnny Gentle was starting to come up in that project. Um, but I think in the end, the focus was way more on the Pale King because it just seemed to be so overtly concerned with like citizenship and like how to be a good adult um, mm. and civics and things like that. Well, well, let's forget that for the time being because that's not your dissertation. <laughs> and, that didn't end and, up being. The <laughs> you know, what I, what I was struck with, and maybe Dave, you could speak to this too, is like a point in your, your thesis, maybe it's in your introduction where you talk about going to the Wallace conference and hearing a paper by Matt Luter and he had done mm-hmm. some maybe stuff around Rita Felsky and post critique. And yeah. um, why, why don't you take it from there about maybe was, was that yeah. a turning point for you? It, it was. Yeah. And it's funny cause I, I kind of traced it back to that point by the conclusion of the thesis, but Matt presented a paper um, called me and Wallace's shadow, I think from memory. And it was about like creating space for like his personal story um, in the academic writing that he was doing at the same time. And Rita Felsky was a big part of that because her whole thing is um, post critique and the idea that it's, it's complicated, but like boiled down to like the main thing is that um, at the moment in academia, we are approaching texts from a place of suspicion and like there's this one way of doing critique and it's to interrogate and break things down and demystify and post critique is meant to like open up options um for other ways to approach the text and that includes you know making space for like a critic's personal life and like their their emotional attachment to the thing that they're studying and so matt was talking a lot about that um and about his experience in academia and that was just like I don't know, I was just like sitting in the audience and it blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know that we could do this stuff. Um, and so that was really a pivotal moment. <laughs> yeah, it was a great talk. It was so good. And um, yeah, I was really impressed by it. And so since then it was like, you know, I moved on to look more closely at Rita Felsky and then, um, and it just kind of carried through from there. But but definitely uh, Matt Luder's paper was the first time I was like, huh, I could like, I could actually say in my scholarship why I like Wallace as much as I do and 
not have that necessarily be a problem for like how critical I'm able to be of his work. Mm -hmm. How much did you find that doing uh, technically a creative writing PhD allowed you, gave you like more space for that than say like just an English PhD? Was that something that helped give you a bit more breathing room for that? It did. And I Mm -hmm. think that um, getting more... I don't think I'd even really read a collection of essays until that point, like that I was kind of aware of and um, and seeing that you could have a conversational kind of tone. Well, actually, that's a totally, mm-hmm. um, that's a big lie because like obviously Wallace was a big um, influence on that. <laughs> yeah, I texted Matt when I was reading your dissertation, like, you know, it's funny, like um, Grace's dissertation, like has a lot of informal creative colloquialism elements and it's also mixed with erudite academic prose and research and academic rigor and it makes for this really fun like high brow and then like low kind of like conversational reading experience and I just like wonder where I've read something like that before you know (laughs) oh yeah okay yeah yeah there were were times where I had to be very mindful Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and uh yeah so having that conversational tone I think, yeah, that's my favorite way to receive information as well from other people. It's kind of like making it accessible. And um, and I think that the creative writing degree really helps with that because you, you get to play a lot more um, yeah. with your style where yeah. I think that if I'd just done straight lit without, um, unless I wrote on my own time, like I think I would have had a very formulaic way of like, yeah. no, this is how it needs to be constructed. They're not going to let you write gonna <laughs> or something in the English department. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I don't think I realized how, I think I was used to just writing in that style, but I did get some feedback saying that the colloquialisms were a bit jarring at times. And I was like, ah, yeah, that's right. That would gonna, and like, I can't remember what else I put in there, but, um, but yeah, they, they let me because I told them that that was intentional. Yeah, that's great. I have a good friend, uh, my friend Curtis, who wrote in a first year paper, this was, you know, when he was in his late teens, his thesis was like, in this essay, I'm Anna with two apostrophes and the TA who marked it just like slashed it and said, this has no place in academic writing or something oh like really, really scathing <laughs> like that. And I've always just thought that was so funny. So I read it in yours and I was like, paper. Yes. yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's saved on his like 1999, like IBM, like massive uh, brick of a computer at his parents' house. See, that's what, that's why I'm a descriptivist because <laughs> awesome. I actually think that contraction was used in Tristram Shandy or some other, you know, older <laughs> work like whatever we think yeah, is yeah. like uh, in, mm. in colloquialism is really old. Um, yeah, but yeah. going going back yeah. to that, I yeah. think it was a 2018 conference where Matt Luter gave that paper, and I think one reason why a lot of that post critique stuff resonated with with a lot of people, including me, was um, that it did reflect really what the the conference or the community who attended the conference um represented you know and there were a lot of people there who mm-hmm. are just fans right and they're not presenting anything yeah. and there are a lot of people there who are um not wallace scholars per se but are like mm-hmm. doing a paper on wallace the way you would do it at mla like uh, they're they're yeah. american literature experts mm-hmm. or post 45 and they're just going to go and do wallace for a paper and then move on yeah and really haven't read all of this mm-hmm. stuff don't care about it and then there's like people in the middle who don't fit in that mix. And I think that was really interesting to say, like, what is the right way? And I know the, the conference itself had grappled with that um, and a panel that I was on an extremely uncomfortable panel, um, maybe in 2015 <laughs> with David Herring and um, 
what's her name mary holland uh, about like academia versus the fans and i was just like i was just like we suck we don't have phds we don't know what we're talking about i don't know <laughs> get me off the stage i apologize you know i'm sorry for all everyone who's a fan i was just like i don't know i we're terrible like we're we're never be as smart as y'all like i don't know what to say like it was it was a disaster and um you know to hear that there are other people who are like no, there's actually like a discipline around this too. And mm -hmm. just because someone, um, you know, puts it into an academic book doesn't mean it's the right way. So for me, that was like yeah. extremely freeing to have someone yeah, say refreshing. that. And I think that you've totally. expanded on that more than just a paper, but into like now, you know, I would say you're one of the leading scholars of this whole idea. Ah, um, uh, no way! Thank and, you. <laughs> yeah, like I like your dissertation captures a lot of the discomfort and tension that I've been feeling as somebody who's associated with Wallace in the last few years. I mean, certainly we're all kind of like feeling some of that since the biography, right? But like really pronounced in the last like two or three years, and you just captured it so well. And I just kept like voraciously reading it, like yes, yes, I know, I know all of this feeling too. But you were able to really. <laughs> explore it in a really uh, generous kind of a way um, and one of the things that I that was really lovely about the way that you articulated this was like that yeah all this stuff about Wallace is like really damning and awful and how do we grapple with it how do we countenance these tensions but then there's like this really beautiful Wallace community of like scholars that have that have that keep meeting all the time and like have formed the society and a lot of other side kind of projects and stuff and it's like this, this kind of beautiful thing has come out of that for you personally as like a friendship mm -hmm. thing. And that's certainly true for me. And I know from Matt too. So Nope. Um, I have no yeah. friends from this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's right. And um, the dissonance of like having that community yeah. while also kind of wondering if you're allowed to still um, keep being a fan of Wallace, you know, in light of the biography and, and cars yeah. tweets and everything yeah. was like just something I didn't know how to reconcile. Cause mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you lose the community if you, if you give up on, on the fandom and like, I don't know, it was just, yeah, yeah it was, it was tricky. Yeah. And it's not like there's a clean answer to that for no. any of us, you know, and it's still no. something that like, it's, it's an ongoing thing that, that we're all working through and working through together. And, um, but the way that you handle yeah. it, it handled it was like the most robust exploration of that that we've seen so far and so it was just like a joy to read um mm -hmm. so i don't know if you are comfortable with like wanting to share that out to our audience in some form or if people want to get in touch with you if they've listened to this and they're interested yeah, yeah. if you'd be willing Absolutely. to share it okay um, cool no pressure though it's of course. it's no no yeah like i mean if anyone out there is interested and wants to to look at it um just email me um cool. it's under embargo at the moment because i'm gonna try and get it published Good. um but yes, but yeah i'm just happy if people are interested <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the thing about academic writing right you're like oh yeah. 10 people want to read this cool that's yeah <laughs> more than i expected yeah um uh, can you explain to there there are five essays in the in the thesis mm -hmm. um do you want to walk us through just a brief overview of what those are yeah, definitely. Um, so there is, there's the introductory essay, which is more or less just kind of setting up the reader's expectations um, in an academic way. Like, this is what I'm doing and like, these are what all the essays are about. But the the 
the body of the thesis is split into five standalone essays. Um, the first one is um, it's about well, it's it's titled "Sorry, David Foster Wallace is cancelled," and it's about um, Carr's tweets and um, the fallout of that, and sort of it goes in down the rabbit hole of like cancel culture and problematic favourites, and um, and then sort of looks at the Wallace community and how they handled all of that. Um, so that's kind of the the context essay um, that sets up the problem, and then we go into a, a two parter essay about academia, um, which uh, was important for me to write because I found that when when Wallace was caught up in like hashtag Me Too, and there were people like Amy Hungerford saying we shouldn't teach or read him, um, I was kind of hitting my head against a brick wall where I felt like academia wasn't really equipped to deal with this question of the problematic fave. Um, there was a scholarly argument that, yes, we should keep reading him um, and read, you know, his work in terms of misogyny and kind of all these sorts of ways that we could complicate his legacy in a scholarly way, but it just didn't sit right. It didn't, it didn't resolve the problem for me as like a fan and as a woman who was reading Wallace. So those two essays are kind of um, exploring that and that's where post-critique comes into it and gets kind of unpacked. And then the next essay is the one where I kind of put post-critique into practice and I try to explain why it is that I'm so attached to Wallace. And so that one is about how reading him helped me um, manage my eating disorder. And so it kind of goes into like the whole how the reading of his work actually did that and why – and it's sort of – it's there to explain why I'm so attached to him um, and why kind of – deciding to cancel him or not or, or whatever is, is really complicated for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And then the next essay is a series of letters written to David Foster Wallace um, where uh, I talk about a lot of things, but it's it's really kind of the – it was the way for me in writing it to like interrogate my attachment to him um, and, and sort of like speak to him directly or whatever. Um, mm. And that kind of goes down a rabbit hole of parasocial relationships and kind of feeling like David Foster Wallace is my friend, which I know is kind of, um, it's definitely something that seems to crop up a bit in the scholarship and in the community. Um, I'm sure that's not the case for everyone, but, but it was for me. So that was my attempt to explore that phenomenon. And then the final one is about the Wallace community and the Wallace fandom. And so um, that's kind of going into the, the Wallace L listserv and um, conferences and everything and just talking about like that even though um, Wallace might be the problematic figure, that there's something that's really positive and um, ethical that comes out of that, which is the community itself. And yeah. And you've got a section too on letters to people like Rita Felsky, Mary Carr, mm-hmm. uh, Deidre Coyle, the that that really that piece that like was kind of blew things up in a big way uh, on electric yeah. literature years ago um but but yeah. you can see why like no other critical work about wallace appeals to me directly so much as this one uh yeah totally uh <laughs> like this is like if you wanted to write a critical not it's not even just critical it's creative too but it's like an essay a book like a book that would interest me is like you did it this is it um totally like (laughs) you know one of the core the core question in there which you've kind of alluded to but not gotten to and you know you and i have talked about it separately is like how do you remain a fan of him 
you know, if you know he did some bad stuff, right? Or was an abusive person to women or however you want to phrase it. Um, you know, how do you remain a fan of his? And um, I'll let you go first on that. Hmm. Um, I think it would be different for everyone. What I arrived at was that um, I had to get comfortable with just being uncomfortable about about that. Um, I can still uh, value what reading him has done for me and the people that it's brought me to while also being like his I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be treated that way by him. Um, and so I think it's just about being willing to like sit with that dissonance. Um, I remember that um, Hanif Abdurraqib interview that you sent through um, mm-hmm. a while back and just the idea that like part of it is also about fans evolving and like evolving um, not beyond, you know, they're the thing that they are fanning about, like, but just kind of constantly like interrogating I don't know that I like that word, but just kind of being willing to like grow um, in the fandom as well, which I think that the Wallace community is doing and did do. Yeah, it's interesting because for me, it's a little bit different and it really, it starts with like what he's accused of doing. And I say accused because Mm -hmm. um, I I would still say um, it's not that I don't believe the people who accused him of doing it, but like, he's dead and he's not here to defend himself or give his side of the story and nowhere in writing does he put his side of the story of what happened. But I guess from that certainly does complicate the whole, well, for me, and it's not, it's not just that, but that there, every case is different, right? For me, uh, like someone like Bill Cosby, Louis CK, like I'm done with that guy. Like I I cannot be a fan of his anymore. Like I have no interest in watching like, a bunch of Woody Allen movies. That's me personally as a fan. And like a lot of it is this like shades of gray of like, what is the person actually accused of doing? And like, if he was accused of being like a neo-Nazi, like I would probably be like, you know what? It depends. And yet should people still read Heidegger who was a Nazi? And it's like, Mm -hmm. probably, I probably would tell you it's okay to read Heidegger. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very complex, but that bit about you as a person evolving, um, I think that's where a lot of it is. And not also not getting caught up in the nostalgia of, you know, you read this thing at a critical point in your life and therefore you're you're you have to be attached to it forever. It's like, no, I think you can still absorb yeah. it and make it part of your life, but you don't owe it yeah. that yeah. fealty forever. <laughs> no. And I think that there's also like the um, the impulse to go into the other extreme, which is to like, um, outgrow it or like to just kind of reject it entirely. And, um, I think there's got to be some middle ground, um, to that. But yeah, I also agree. It's very case by case. And there are, there are other artists that I'm willing to kind of forego. And part of that is down to like my level of attachment to them as well. And that's why it's, um, it's been interesting to think about someone who like, I don't want to let go of and, and why I would be willing to make that concession. That's interesting to me. Um, I have another question for you that is not related to that Mm. topic per se, but uh, (laughs) more as like you as a writer, um, you know, Dave mentioned Wallace, but like, were there other essayists or writers that you looked to for inspiration? 
Yeah. Um, so Hanif Abdurraqib is one. Um, he wrote uh, Go Ahead in the Rain notes to a tribe called Quest. And that was like um, a really interesting uh, template of sorts to kind of um, read someone writing about their like love of the band um, and to spend each essay kind of looking at the band in a different way, like critically, and then also kind of in a very sort of like fanish sort of way. Um, so that was really influential. I also just really loved um, Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror at the start of 2020 was when I read it. And I found that really um, fun to read and kind of, uh, yeah, just it, she showed me the potential of sort of like you can start your essay in one spot and then end up in an entirely different spot and like you can take a whole lot of rabbit holes to get there and that that was really fun as well. Um, and I'm sure there were a lot of others. I know that I read a lot of collections last year, but I would need to kind of um, go through my um, computer and find them again. But those were two standouts. I mean, to me, you reminded me of some of my favorite writers who are in this sort of even though it's creative writing, it's creative nonfiction in, in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And, you know, Leslie Jameson comes up in that. Um, Eula Biss, I would say, even... Joan uh, Didion. She's more of a journalist who's conservative, but sure. Um, well, she's definitely um, conservative, yeah. Any, Anyways, <laughs> I, I would just, for people who haven't read your work, uh, you know, Maggie Nelson, mm -hmm. I would put in that category. Yeah, of, totally. Of... Uh, Grace Chipperfield. Oh yeah, of course. So keep keep a lookout for. Yeah, she she appears in the essays. Uh, she and Leslie Jameson both appear in the. Right, yeah. So the keep an eye out yeah. for. You mentioned the Argonauts, yeah. Grace, I'm just yeah. saying, if you like Leslie Jameson and uh, Maggie Nelson, and really Rita Felsky, if if they wrote about David Foster Wallace, the book is already out. Is Grace Chipperfield? So that keep exists. an eye out for. Mm, that is such out. a big compliment. <laughs> Thank no, you. I mean. It, like, like I said, a lot of people have interests that, you know, they write about stuff that's about Wallace. We'll read it, but it's like your work being even one step removed a bit about the fandom and the community. That's like, that's what we do. So, yeah, I would be interested in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, for sure. Well, that leaves us with about half an hour or so to talk about uh, the best of 2020 Free Grace in a few different areas. Yeah. So you mentioned Tribe Called Quest. I'm trying to find a natural segue <laughs> into music here. Uh, parasocial relationships mm -hmm. is a big topic in your thesis. And um, I think our relationship to musicians in a lot of cases is a great example of parasocial relationships, which is that mm -hmm. idea that you articulate that like people feel like they know the artist personally, like as a friend. Yep. And I remember like when I, before I even started my master's, I went, I went out for beer with the two guys who became my uh, supervisors. And we were just talking about Wallace and why I wanted to do a project on him. And I said, like, one of the things I said was, you know, he just seems like he was a really cool guy and I would have wanted to like go for a beer with him. Um, so that parasocial, like, I feel like I know yeah. him through his writing. Um, and I think they kind of rolled their eyes a bit and they're like, oh, this is going to be a disaster <laughs> like this guy's just like a fan and like he's not going to be able to do anything of critical value and i think we got past that and ended up being okay in the end but um still anyways so um that's so nice <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell us a bit about your year in music what were some of your favorite uh, artists albums How, did music help you get through the shittiest year yeah. ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
yeah, music was important. Um, and I came up with a short list of like my top five 2020 albums. Um, and then there are some honorable mentions and like some older artists that I Great. newly discovered for the see, first yeah. time. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I don't know. How do you want to do this? Do you want like, cause I assume you have a top list as well. Oh, do you yeah, want to go, go one, one, or... one for one? Sure. Yeah. Top five. Okay. Do you want to do top five? Do you want to start at five and then go up to one, like a countdown style? I'm going to call yeah, on mute. So good. you guys just go yeah. for it. This is great. Um, all right what's your number five favorite album um my number five is davy doe's a better time um he had so he's um an american born nigerian singer so his his style is kind of like afro pop um and he had another album in 2019 called a good time and um i loved that one as well um but yeah this one was uh just a very like happy um poppy bright uh album with like a lot of good features on it um i think uh, i'm trying to remember who was on it um i know Nicki minaj has a song on there there's like young thug um just a sort of a range of artists and um yeah if you want something that is just like happiness bottled i (laughs) davido is like the artist that i would go to awesome Mm -hmm. what about you uh, my number five was Perfume Genius's album Set My Heart on Fire Immediately. Um, artist from Seattle, and this album just has bangers on it. Like, there's a song called Describe on it that I listened, I just listened to it over and over and over in New Zealand this year. And mm-hmm. I think I, I like did a Twitter post that I this is the song of the decade, and it's only the first year of the decade. I'm completely <laughs> comfortable making that claim. And I'm pretty confident that 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 statement will stand through the 2020s. For me, at least, it's like my, I I don't see any song topping it. It's such a banger. That's awesome. (laughs) I I like that album a lot as well. And On the Floor was the other song. On the Floor is like, is so, so close in in gravity Mm -hmm. to describe that I'm really hard pressed to choose which one I put on my year end playlist because I, my rule is I only put one by one artist. But I've actually broken mm-hmm. that rule and I've put both on the playlist that's going to be attached to this show. Um, Which is a good thing. you can't not have both of them, I think, mm-hmm. for me anyways. What's your number four? Yeah, that song is so fun and upbeat. Yeah. Like, don't you just wish that you could be on the floor to that song yes. with other people <laughs> and it was loud and that would be very fun. The next yeah. wedding I go to or something, I'm going to try and shoehorn that in. <gasps> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. All right. My fourth one was Burner Boys Twice as Tall. Um, another Nigerian Afropop, uh, singer. He also had an album in 2019 called African Giant, which, um, was fantastic. Um, and I almost, I'm not sure yet where they sit in terms of if I like African Giant more than Twice as Tall, but, um, this one's a bit moodier than Davido. Um, again, a lot of features. Oh man. Uh, he has Stormzy on there. He has... Naughty by Nature, um, mm. just a bunch of artists that are really good to hear on the tracks. Um, Anderson Pack does the drums in one song. Matt, you'd remember that band, Naughty by Nature. Fuck off. <laughs> Late eighties. I'm down with it. Like I did I'm too. Down with I did too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's another, that's another like fun, um, that sort of music is very like singles focused, I think. So oh, yeah. they're not, um, Burner Boy's albums are a bit more concept than, um, Davido's, but 
but yeah, those are two artists that I like. I would listen to anything that they put out. Um, hmm. They're just fun. They're good. And cool. um, they, Burner Boys in particular, are also like have a very kind of um, uh, political aspect to them as well, and that's really interesting to listen to. Yeah, cool. Especially in a in a, a year such as this. Yes. Um, my number four was uh, less of a rap album than that. It was Waxahachie's album Saint Cloud. Um, so like you know folk rock with a bit of kind of alt country twang aspects to it um and she is dating kevin morby who's also one of my favorite artists he had an album this year called sundowner that is in my top 10 but not quite in my top five um and that's just a really solid sound album every song is a banger um Mike Miley's a big fan of this album. We text about it a lot early, like earlier in the year. It was nice. kind of like came out, I think in maybe January or February. So it was pretty early in 2020, but that got, got me through some, some, some of the lockdown in the early start of this year. That was on my list yeah. too. Thank, thanks for nice. asking. Um, hey man. <laughs> wax ahead. That's microphones working everybody. I, uh, I mainly have an affinity for this band because my parents briefly lived in Waxahachie, Texas. Um, which oh. is what the band is named after. It's spelled differently, but oh, it's na- isn't it a creek in Alabama. <clears throat> no, like Rob Short knew, was in the same music scene with with Katie and her sister. All right, we're gonna edit Matt this Rob, later. Rob played. In we're bands. gonna edit. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, totally. I'll totally edit this part. Out. <laughs> All right, keep going. Sorry, right, sorry. Well, was number three, Grace. <laughs> You're fine. Sir. Um. I was not familiar with that artist before, but I listening to the Great Concavity um, 2020 playlist, I liked what I heard, so I will explore further. Nice. Yeah, listener, we, Grace and I exchanged uh, playlists a few weeks ago so we could get like a heads up on the vibe of what we were going to be talking about here. So mm. that's the background. Yeah, that was great. I love that. I love trading playlists. Yeah, um, so my third one... Uh, yeah, I guess the top three, I would say in no particular order, although I guess I have them in a particular order. So my third one is the fourth Run the Jewels album, yeah, okay. which... Speaking of political just, rap albums. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. It was so good. It's just like 40 minutes of just like high octane energy, mm. like the entire time. And you just never, ever like, yeah, lose steam. Um, they also have a lot of like fantastic features, um, like um, 2 Chains, Josh Homme. Mavis Staples, uh, Pharrell Williams, all sorts of people. And yeah, each song is just fantastic. It's Childish Gambino on one of the songs on that album? <sighs> Maybe I'm I don't know. That. I think I listened to it once or twice when it came out. I, I don't listen to a lot of rap, but like... So I was this impressed. was on my list too, because uh, Killer yeah. Mike especially is one of the only like artists that I have paid to see in the past five years. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's um, awesome. The other one is Bruce Springsteen, who is also on my list, mm-hmm. had a new album in 2020, by the way. Um, but mm-hmm. the boss is worth it. Do you have a pro- now? Now, when they're like going at it, and it switches from LP mm-hmm. to Killer Mike, like LP is like real hit and miss for me. But I like like to me, Killer Mike oh, is the like it should be called Killer Mike with special guest LP. Like, <laughs> like I. This whole like no, I love LP. Like our podcast, that, Matt Booker um, with right, Dave Laird. <laughs> That's the second I'm fuck off today. We gotta edit that out. <laughs> um, I know I love them both equally. I love the fact that on every song you just know you're gonna hear from both of them. I look forward to it. They've got each such distinctive voices. Um, 
and I like a, a lot of LP's lyrics as well. So um, I'll I'll challenge you on that. Uh, but no, you're, I, I think like you're the conventional wisdom. I'm just saying I'm I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a connoisseur of this, but that's my preference. All right, carry on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, my number three was uh, by a band called Pup. They're kind of a punk band from Toronto. And their, their six-song EP this year was called This Place Sucks Ass. And <laughs> there's a song, the sixth song on the, on the album is called Edmonton, which is a city in Alberta that's sort of notori- notorious for doing the thing that the EP is titled uh, metaphorically. And a lot of my good friends here in Victoria are from Edmonton, and they saw that and they just laughed really hard. And they were like, yep, that's totally true. Um, <laughs> So it's just like scrappy punk, um, but like pretty upbeat, like pop punk. It's they're kind of a band nice. that I don't really expect myself to like, or don't really listen to a lot from that genre. At least I haven't since like tenth grade. But like, there is something in their songwriting and their lyrics that is like really angsty and just hits all the buttons for me. And their album last year, Morbid Stuff, was like my number two album of last year. So like, okay. they're just really ramming out the hits. Uh, they played here in Victoria last year in October, which was a month after I had to leave to go to New Zealand. Oh, so no. all my friends went to it, and I missed it, and it sounded like the most fun show ever. So I hope they they come back soon after like concerts can mm-hmm. exist again in nine years from now. Yeah, they. Oh. Um, <laughs> you need you need to have an angsty band you can wallow to a bit sometimes. Yeah, totally, but I like mm. that they're upbeat about it as well. Yeah, they wa- they <laughs> they do wallow. It's true. <laughs> All right, Grace, what was your two? Um, my, my number two is actually a recent one that only came out um, after like all my like Spotify wrapped happened and everything. Oh, yeah. um, I think course. it was, it must've been December. Um, it's the Avalanches have a new album out called We Will Always Love You. Um, they're an Australian electronic music group. Yeah, for sure. Um, they, they formed in 1997. They had like one album in 2006. No, that can't be right. Uh, they did have an album in 2006, I think, and then it was like a 10-year gap and they released their second album in 2016 and then this one another um, four years later. And um, I don't know what the critical consensus is on their earlier albums. I, I have a feeling they might be um, – perhaps this one's too fresh to kind of know yet, but like um, I love this one so much. I just – every song, it's just like this kind of shimmery – like um blissed out sort of like watery music and it just Ooh, feels like good. you're swimming in like an ocean or something it's really nice all right i'm gonna um, i'm gonna bookmark that right now yeah they they also have a lot of features as well like on all their albums they sample a lot and they have a lot of features and this one has like leon bridges kurt vile denzel curry Ooh. johnny ma mgmt blood orange like a lot of yeah, a lot of a lot of good um, Ooh, features good on it as well. I do like Kurt Vile yeah. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. His uh, his song is really great. I don't yeah. listen to him a lot outside of it, but this mm. song might change that. Okay, nice. He's got an mm-hmm. album called Waking on a Pretty Days. That's probably my favorite of his. It's okay. like 2013 or so, give or take. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Uh, Matt is <laughs> thumbs down on the video it's right now. Vile. It's not my bag. Not, not a fan. Bag, okay. All right, <laughs> Philadelphia's coming for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> so that was your number two, Grace? Yes, nice. yeah. My number two was, was uh, by a actually a local artist from Victoria named Aiden Knight. He put out a self-titled album this year, even though he's 
put out like three other full-length albums prior to this. Huh. It's always funny when when a self-titled album is not the first album. I mean, Weezer obviously yeah. has done this a lot, um, but uh, Aiden Knight is a guy that's around town, and he's you know I've seen him play quite a few times, and he is just like a really tremendous rock folk songwriter with a beautiful voice and his albums are like really contemplative there's a lot of kind of slower folkier acoustic songs and then there's also some rock songs and there's a song in this album called Veni Vidi Vici that is just like okay so if described by Perfume Genius was like the banger of the decade Veni Vidi Vici is like oh, wow. is like is like right there with that as well it is so good and the music video uh, which I can link to in the show notes is features him daydreaming about becoming a construction worker and this video oh, was shot like five minutes from my house on this like huge project that's <laughs> been going on for years and years on the on the highway and um it, it is it's a gas it's a riot of a music video it's very funny um so that album was was great for me this year and what was your number one grace my number one Drum was um do, 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 do. I won't hit the table. I know that's hard to edit out. <laughs> um, yeah, my number one, and definitely would be my number one, um, is Mac Miller's Circles. Um, he uh, he died in 2018, um, oh, no. and this is a post posthumous release, um, and it's just so good. It's it's probably my favorite album of his. Um, I really liked his 2018 Swimming. I love that one a lot actually too. Um, that's got a more like washed out sound and this one is just really like um, gentle and um, and just beautiful. And I would just, yeah, I would recommend people listen to it. It's really great um, and, and sad mm-hmm. to hear um, knowing that he's not around anymore yeah. as well. Yeah, I think we can kind of relate to that phenomenon on this show, hey, mm-hmm. of like an artist that you like who is not with us anymore yeah 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 that's uh that's familiar territory so Mac yeah. and particularly his music as well like deals a lot with like mental health and mm. and stuff like that which is mm. very comforting to listen to as well so mm-hmm. some crossover there yeah no kidding wow cool um mm-hmm. for me i did the like you know everyone, everyone was doing the like spotify year in music top artist thing on instagram for like a, a mm-hmm. hot four days there in december <laughs> early december um i don't use spotify typically i use apple music so i found out a way that you can get your apple music version of that but it's quite involved like to like oh you know google it and like click a link to get there like, and then do it like an anyways phoebe oh, Bridgers was my top mo- most listened to artist this year and that's because mm-hmm. of her album punisher that came out uh, around the midpoint of the year kind of in the spring um and that album is just uh really solid every song is super great uh there's some mm-hmm. good rock stuff there's some good really contemplative stuff about like her kind of absentee father um there's a song where she talks about Elliot Smith in kind of a very parasocial way so when I was reading her <laughs> dissertation I was like oh this reminds me of that Phoebe Bridgers song where she like talks about like walking by Elliot Smith's house and uh her feeling of familiarity with him as a person that like if they could have had a conversation because he also died by suicide um like she wouldn't be get, know where to start or when to stop kind of a thing mm-hmm. um so that album just like 
just really carries for me. Um, she also yeah. put out a four-song EP in December. I think it was the Copycat Killer EP, which is like string versions of four of the songs on that album. Oh. It's really moving and evocative. And then she put out a Christmas EP in December that has like some really depressing Christmas music, but it's like the <laughs> best in the best way. Um, so I would just like wake up in the morning and be pitch black outside and be like making my daughter her sandwich for lunch and I would just at daycare and I'd just be listening to like the most depressing Christmas music <laughs> from her and just like kind of loving my life in a, in a weird way um, that's great so thanks Phoebe for that and her Instagram presence is really funny her account's called fake nudes and she just I just went on to that the <laughs> other day and had a look and I was like oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah. so like you don't have to worry about clicking on it it's not sketchy but like she posts really funny stuff so I like her sensibility a lot. I listened to the shit out of that album, Punisher, and I really uh-huh. did. My favorite song on there is Kyoto, which is like her just Kyoto just like is amazing. Roaming around yeah. Kyoto, um, yeah. But talking yeah. to her dad on a payphone, yeah, it's, hearing about his sobriety. It's just a very catchy song too. Um, yeah, that's the yeah. song from it that I put on our year, our best of. I'll list. have to take a look at yeah, that. That's <laughs> I sent it to you weeks uh, ago. Number one. For me, <laughs> since uh, none of you brought it up, is as far as I know, the only winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature who released a new album last year. Kendrick. Especially Bob Dylan about I wish a seventeen-minute song about the JFK assassination. Oh, that's right, your wheelhouse. <laughs> Murder most foul, and I highly recommend just booking an hour on your calendar. Put the headphones on. And just let Bob Dylan talk to you about Lee Harvey Oswald for uh, a l- good length of time. It's almost like a spoken word. I mean, project. we let we let DeLillo do it, so um, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, neither one of you mentioned what Fiona Apple had a new album, got a lot of critical attention. I like mm. the Fiona mm-hmm. Apple. Oh, it sure did. Ten out of ten on Pitchfork, which is pretty rare. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I am like, I'm hit or miss with her, but I I think some of the songs Same. on the album are, are good. For sure, there's one on our our year playlist as well. Mm. I think that um, I've listened to all her albums and I really like some of her songs like a lot. Um, And I'm a bit like you, Dave. It's hit or miss, but not because like I think that she's a great artist and I think that she's very like, she's clearly very fantastic at what she does. But I just think that like I'm not, there are some things that I'm just kind of, they don't, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? They just don't like hit me in the way that I think they do for other people. Yeah. yeah. Traditionally, I only add one song to the annual list. <laughs> and, That's right. We had a whole contest based on this last year. This time, <laughs> Dave told me that the song that I added was not released in 2020. So I fucking deleted it <laughs> from the playlist uh, out of spite. Uh, but well, the, the artist. I listened to it. I was like, oh, this is a great song. And I like looked it up and then it said. It came out in 2016, and I was like, "Hey, you know what? That's that's fine." At the 17 minute Bob Dylan song, I deleted it. There you go. That's um, it. That's that's the ender. But last year, or just sub in the Dylan, maybe two years ago, the the artist I put on there who I really liked, Jason Isbell in the 400 Unit, and oh, yeah. he had a new right. album this year, which is really good. So if if I were to go out of my way to add something back, it might be uh, a song from Jason Isbell who. Maybe I'll just do oh. that every year that he puts out an album. I'll just one song, <laughs> Jason, Ripple, and that's it. I mean, Springsteen had a new album too, but I actually didn't love it. I feel like I need to listen to it more. Um, yeah. 
mm-hmm. and it's rare like i don't have time a lot to listen to a whole album to appreciate it mm. um and it, it's sad to say but like a lot of music for me is just like background noise and yeah. like when i'm working or, well, it's hard too and like your job is audio editing yeah, you can't do this like you can't really else. listen yeah. to music while you're audio editing no. <laughs> so that's a problem or listen to another podcast and um sure you know i had a short list of like podcasts to plug and i think i already did that i don't remember in the previous part one of this uh 17 hour episode that we're doing um <laughs> but yeah basically uh, the the other thing i was gonna say is like what do you guys listen to like let's say do you listen to music when you're like eating like, what do you listen to, like, during, like, a meal? Like, you can't listen to, like, Run the Jewels when you're, like, trying to digest. Eating dinner with your <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, let's mom. have a nice, relaxing meal and, like, put on Killer Mike. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do put on music during most dinner yeah. times, yeah. What do you yeah. play? Like, what's your go-to? Uh, just whatever's, like, whatever kind of newer albums are out that we're enjoying I'll put on. Actually, mostly lately, it's the Lion King soundtrack. Because my daughter's a fascist, <laughs> <laughs> specifically like in the way that she demands the, the circle of life, soundtrack. man. The circle. Of life. Um, the Moana soundtrack got a lot of airtime on our on our stereo this year. Um, she started to get into Frozen a little bit, which I'm kind of like pushing back on. I do not want the Let It Go song to be playing <laughs> too too much, but it's it's made a couple rotations. Um, so typically, it's like that's what we're listening to at dinner. Uh, but if I can get it away with it without her noticing, you know, just like whatever top 10 album that year is, is happening or some kind of playlist. What about you, Grace? Um, well, I tend to, um, I listen to music more when I'm having like a drink before dinner. And for that, I would recommend like Liana Le Havis's 2020 album was really good. Um, also like Van Morrison, Astral Weeks or the Blue Nile, um, or Miles Davis, anything that's kind of like chill enough that it can kind of be background music, but it's like, Mm. it's nice. Yeah. Cool. Any uh, honorable mentions that, that were somewhere between your six and 10 slots, Grace? You want to quickly mention? Yeah. Um, well, Liana Le Havis was one. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a few others. Tame Impala had a new album out this year. I didn't. I didn't like it as much as I really, like I love Currents, which was his 2015 Mm, album. Um, But I don't know that I've listened to the Slow Rush enough to get familiar with it. So I I think I gave it like one or two lessons and was like, eh. Yeah, Yeah. it was fine. Lonerism like really did it for me from them. I really like Lonerism. Yeah. From like Uh, 2012 or something. Yeah. Yeah, that one's good as well. Um, Currents is definitely my favorite, I think, but I don't know why it just seemed to happen at the right time for me. Um, and then the 1975 had a new album and that one was also really good. That one, um, is reasonably long. Um, and I feel like it's good in that, like whatever your music tastes, you'll probably find something like certain tracks in it that you like. I know that I really like a certain sound they have on the album. And then there are other tracks that I'm kind of like could take or leave. Um, and speaking of Kendrick Lamar, Buster Rhymes had a new album out called Extinction Level Event 2. And Kendrick Lamar That's has amazing. a feature on that, which is his first in a while. And it's fantastic. So, yeah. Has Buster Rhymes been consistently putting out albums? Or, like, my memory of him kind of ends at, like, I don't know, 1998 or something. Yeah, my, my memory that of Buster like Rhymes 
up until this point was just Break Your Neck, I think. And then um, this is like the first album I've listened to by him. And it's really, it's good. It's like, it's one that you have to pay attention to. And it's also really long. Chris Rock appears on it a lot as like a hype man for Busta Rhymes, which is interesting. <laughs> wow. But there are a lot of features from like, cool. um, like old school hip hop artists as well, which is, um, yeah, it's worth a listen. It's kind of pretty dark. Wasn't he involved mm. in the Fire Festival? Do you... Buster do you remember that part of the well, documentary? Yes, he was. was. I do it? remember he that. He was like an investor, like one of the people who like lured people oh. there. Yeah. I didn't That's watch right. that, but I don't remember he that. He was a total that fraudster, detail. man. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> um, and then um, just a, a couple that aren't 2020, but that I found this year that I loved. Um, Slow Ties yeah. had a uh, 2019 album, Nothing Great About Britain. He's got a new one coming out on Feb 5, which I'm very excited for. Um, I listened to that album a lot this year. It would be in my top five if it had come out this year. Um, and then MF Doom, who recently died as well. I was listening to yeah. a lot of him this year. Yeah, that was kind of like, I think he died in October and it wasn't even like mentioned until yeah, on, like a on week Halloween, ago. I think, yeah. 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 Um, and then A Tribe Called Quest and also Tom Waits I was listening to a lot this year. And he's a very interesting mm. artist with a lot of diverse sounds. Sure is. That, <laughs> yep. Yeah, <he's> cool. <laughs> what about you? Um, my kind of like top six through ten included ban- uh, bands like Fleet Foxes. Their album Shore was pretty good mm-hmm. this year. Jeff Tweedy's Love yeah. is the King was very pleasant. Uh, Whitney put out a covers album called Candid that I really liked. And um, there's a band called Loving from Victoria as well, where I live, If I'm Only My Thoughts. And I'd never heard of this band. And then a good friend of mine was like, oh, check out this band. They're from our city. And I listened to it. And I just was immediately like, yes, this is one of my favorite albums of the year. Easy. And they were supposed to do an album release show this year. And like lockdown started like right, like a week before their album release show. So they never got to play it. So hopefully I'll get to see them, you know, when things open back up again. And, um, a couple more I'll mention that kind of trickle into like 11 and 12 were a band called Cut Worms from Brooklyn. Um, their album was Nobody Lives Here. I really like that. And a Canadian artist from Toronto, Andy Schof, had an album called Neon Skyline that was great. Um, a fair few other good ones. A metal band called End. If you're into like, you know, face crushing metal, Splinters <laughs> from an Ever Changing Face. Um, it's kind of like a super band of people who are from like really good metal bands in the days of yore. So like there's a member from Dillinger Escape Plan who's in it and and it's quite punishing. Um, and so, yeah, that was my year in music. Oh, and one artist I'll mention who isn't from 2020, but I discovered this year. It's a German folk singer from like the 70s named Sybil Bayer. Her album Color Green I discovered this year through a friend and it is just amazing i listened to it so so much and the story is like her she recorded this album in the 70s never did anything with it her son in like 2005 or 6 gave it to um one of the guys from dinosaur jr and he listened to it and was like whoa and he put it out so it's an old album but it like kind of only saw the light of day semi-recently uh so i'd recommend that it's really really nice it's kind of like um nico a little bit mm-hmm. reminds me of um, that kind of era folk and German as well. So, cool. um, Matt, any final thoughts on music from you this year? Um, no, 
Anything we missed? <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> Let's transition into video games. Grace, tell us about yes. the downtime that you enjoyed between writing dissertation chapters. <laughs> yeah, well, I did not. Uh, I've got one video game to talk about. Um, I And that was my reward for finishing the thesis. And right. I have been waiting for to play The Last of Us 2 for so long. I've played The Last of Us like four times now. It's kind of like I do oh it at gosh, every... Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I play that video game at like every transition point in my life. I don't know why. Oh, no, I do know why because it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's very good. But yeah, the, the sequel came out. I managed to... Um, I say I managed as if I was like actively avoiding. I just wasn't paying attention to the news around it. So I didn't hear any spoilers. Yeah. Um, and I'm about, I want to say like I might be about 60 to 75% through now. And it's so good. Yeah, it's crazy, it's so good. crazy good. Yeah. Um, it's weird. People told have told me that it like really got a poor critical reception from particularly, well, I guess not critical, from fans. Like a lot of fans really hated this game. Yeah. And I played it and finished it, and I was like, "That is in my top three video games ever made." Yes. Like it is. It's yes, really right. Really good. It's really compelling the entire way through. Like everything, the storytelling narrative is bananas mm-hmm. good, and that and the tensions that you feel as you're playing it. Yeah. Are crazy. This game has made me like cry, like bawling my eyes out like multiple times. And it's just Naughty Dog. Like, I mean, I don't really know what the criticisms of the game are yet because I'm waiting until I finish to Mm. see what fans have an issue with. I have suspicions based on the story and I'll be interested (laughs) to see if those are founded. Um, But I'm kind of like, it's an amazing story. Like it's Naughty Dog has done a fantastic job. Like it's great. It's It's really literary, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yep. premise of this game for people who aren't aware it's like a zombie post-apocalypse game where you mostly mm-hmm. play like a, a character who's like in her early 20s named Ellie I think it's yeah. set in Austin, it's... Texas um, the first one, one was set in Austin oh yeah that's right and this one's mainly Seattle yeah yeah, yeah. it's very yeah it's it's um, survival horror and it makes you feel it because like there are times sure when is. I look forward to playing it and then I'm like huh this is really stressful and I have like no ammo this is really bad yeah like it really works on like a scarcity model where you're always yes. scrounging for supplies and you always feel really low on supplies but it gives you enough most of the time that you can survive but like you yep. always feel pinched exactly yep. yeah and I feel like um if anyone out there is really interested in like games that uh heavy on the narrative and like funneling mm-hmm. you through the story in a way then this yeah. is really good i know some people prefer like open world games i'm i'm i like the storytelling of this a lot more so i'm not so fussed about having like lots of um mini quests and things to do yeah um but yeah if you like story then this is fantastic and it's like a 30 hour game more or less oh, yeah. so like you yeah. get a you get a lot of story too exactly yeah. it's very yeah. cinematic um yeah Good game. I'm excited to hear your thoughts when you finish it. Message I know. Me yeah. <laughs> and we'll keep this spoiler free, but like, I just Absolutely. like, I think Naughty Dog has done such a good job of like emotional caretaking in this game. It's been like very, I have more to say like off air, but like, sure. it's been, yeah, really interesting about how they've done it. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Um, uh, was that, and, and yeah, that, that was, that was pretty much... That was pretty much so. the the video games. Um, yeah, I cool. got Spider Man as well. Right. This is so I just bought a PS4 because I'd been like my PS3 was like glitching out. That's what I was playing oh, Last yeah. of Us on. Oh yeah. And so when I got the PS4, 
in December. Um, I got Spider-Man and Horizon Zero Dawn as well. And I haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn. But Spider-Man has been... um, Spider-Man is a really uh, good-looking game with, like, great mechanics. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more open world, so I'm kind of less invested in the storyline as with The Last of Us. But it is fun it's a lot of fun to play it's super fun to web sling from buildings yeah it's almost like skateboarding game of just like the flow mm. like it's almost like a tony hawk game with like the web slinging yes. aspects and like you're going through new york city and it's like i think it's pretty much for like a literal map of new york right so they've done yeah. their cartographic cool. work <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah very cool i really liked horizon zero dawn so i'm excited to hear what you i've heard very good things too. about that and there's a sequel coming yeah. out this year on oh really which I'm, which I'm very psyched for i'm gonna get it i'm gonna play it i got a ps5 oh, at the end of this year so i'm like ready, <gasps> ready to go and like give me How the next gen stuff uh so far it's like the exact same as ps4 because oh, okay. there haven't been many games that were specifically right. tuned for it uh, but Cyberpunk 2077 should be coming out maybe in like March or so, like the upgraded PS5 version. So I could buy it now and play it and wait for like the graphical upgrade that they're yeah. going to do. But I'm just actually not going to, I'm just going to wait till it comes out in yeah. the PS5 version and I'm experience the full <laughs> next gen glory from the, from the beginning. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I hear they're hard to get nowadays. Yeah, they're really hard. There's a, there's a scarcity. Mm-hmm situation but i like pre-ordered the first day my friend was like dude you gotta pre-order it now they're gonna go i was like oh okay okay um well my birthday is in november i could like put birthday money i could sell the ps4 yeah so anyways um a couple other games i that i played a lot this year were hades which is like a roguelite um game it's kind of like an indie game it's like 25 30 bucks um, okay. where you play the Lord of the Underworld and you're trying to escape the Underworld and Hades is your father. Uh, your name is Zagreus and there's just like tons of Greek mythology gods and characters Ooh. that you interact with and like befriend and you just, you play for half an hour and you die and you do it again and you do it again and you do it 30 times and I still haven't beat the game. But you oh, wow. are like adding to your power and to your skills throughout each of those escape attempts like a little bit at a time. And eventually okay. you kind of become stronger and you learn the game better. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like an old Nintendo game where like, like Contra, where you just like got to memorize patterns and like know what you're up against in order to beat it. Yeah. Did you ever play like, um, oh God, Bloodborne is one of them, yes, but I'm trying to I think of Bloodborne. the, what's the Demon other one? Souls? Um, yes. Um, and Dark Souls. Much and, Demon yeah. Souls or Dark Souls, but I did play Bloodborne a lot. I got to a point where I didn't know where to go next. Like I just on the map, I was like, mm-hmm. I can't figure out what how to advance the story. And then I just like didn't play it for a week, and then I didn't play it for two weeks, and then I tried to go back to it a month later. And I was like, I have no idea what's how to play this game anymore. <laughs> so I yeah. kind of wouldn't. Yeah, mind that's going a back punisher. It, just, like <laughs> starting it from the beginning. Yeah, it's really hard, yeah. but I, I really liked my time in it. Um, mm-hmm. Another game that people are surprised to hear that I play based on my other interests is Call of Duty. I love Call of Duty multiplayer, just shooting other players. It is so fun. (laughs) Yeah, multiplayer would be fun with a game like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. You play online, you're playing against other human intelligence. Uh, I I find it quite riotous. So I I played Cold War quite a bit in the last couple months, and I'm still playing it and enjoying it. 
and it's been good. Nice. I revisited quite a lot of favorites this year too. Um, Cuphead is probably my favorite game of all time, and I've been slowly working on beating it on Expert, <laughs> which is really hard. Ooh. It's like a notoriously <laughs> hard Contra-style video game, um, but it looks like a 1920s Mickey Mouse cartoon. Are you familiar, familiar with oh, this one? Interesting. It's on the Switch. No, I mean I've heard the they name. It on the it's Switch, on Switch. Yeah. It's on PS4. It's on. Okay. It's on everything now. I think. Yeah, Xbox. It's right. it's gl- full glory. Um, played a lot of Nuclear Throne this year, which is another roguelike game. Uh, a lot of FTL, which is like a spaceship roguelike game. And then I okay. revisited this one called Papers Please, which is a really odd little indie game where oh, you are I think like I've heard of this. You work at a, like a checkpoint, like a Soviet, like an eighties Soviet style country that's fictional, Aristorica, and you just. Mm-hmm people give you their passports and, and their papers and based on a set of rules that keeps expanding throughout the levels you have to like cross check their references and make sure oh that like everything gosh. lines up <laughs> and then the characters will like appeal to your humanity and be like please please let me in i know the documents aren't correct my wife's on the other side she's dying and so you have to make these moral choices in like the 16 yeah, bit wow. video game where you're like do i let this person in do i not and if you don't they curse you and like they get dragged away by armed guards and like oh god it's like it's horrifying <laughs> in the best way sounds it's, like horrifying and bureaucratic good. and like yeah. devastating yeah it sounds really boring but it's actually like wildly compelling yeah so i want to play papers, that please yeah it's good okay uh how about board games grace <laughs> did you get any board games in this year <laughs> Um, yes, I did. Uh, just hanging out with some friends and I can't remember. I think it was Mysterium that we played. Is that the one where they have like the, they have like visual cues and you kind of are trying to work out a particular thing? That was, that that was pretty, but it's more, I've played more, um, I played more like D&D and Magic the Gathering this year, I think, than board games specifically. Nice. What Um, magic format do you mostly play? Um, we were playing with commander decks for a while. Um, and then there was also, my friend got given, um, something of Ixalan, which is like, it gives you like a board game kind of component as well. While you play, you kind of like turn over tokens to see, like to discover like treasures and lands and stuff. Um, and that was fun. Um, but I think we're doing something in the next couple of weeks where, um, he's ordered a bunch of boosters and we're going to like build our own commander decks and like, um, verse them against each other Love it. and yeah yeah what's your D character like uh well i had a campaign that got um paused because of covid sure. and so now he's <laughs> now our dm is just running one shots um so this weekend actually in two days time i get to play and my character is built around um uh jonathan from the mummy um so <laughs> we'll see how that goes <laughs> cool um, our friend Matt Luter, who was on the last episode, he was he got kind of roped into a D and D campaign last year with like his teacher friends, and he doesn't really play like nice. a ton of board games or anything. But he made his character based on George St. Geegland from Oh Hello from Crawl Show. Um, oh. This is just a, like a man in his sixties from Brooklyn who just like hits inappropriately <laughs> on women and like hangs out with his oh, other friend, and they're just it's like that was actually probably my favorite podcast this year was the Oh Hello the podcast and it's them okay. revisiting the lady diana um death and controversy and oh like, my gosh it okay. is so funny 
So that was like a highlight of lockdown for me back in like March, April is just like driving and listening to Oh Hello, the podcast. Um, <laughs> very good. Cool. Do you know if Matt Luder is enjoying his time in the D&D world? I think he was. I think a bit of it was fairly mystifying for him. Um, okay. But I think he loved the idea of playing George St. Eagland in a fantasy world enough that it like kept him in it. Yeah. I'm not sure if that nice. <laughs> campaign resolved or if COVID kind of sidelined it or what. But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no cool. surprise for me, but um, can you guess what my favorite games were this year, Matt? Or Grace, I'm sure you could too. But um, Let me think. It's either... Yeah. No, I can't think. Pokemon. Yeah, well, Settlers of Catan once um, again. Netrunner. <laughs> Arkham Horror, <laughs> yeah. number one. Yeah, Arkham Horror. Mm. I played a lot of that. Uh, played last night, in fact, and Android Netrunner. And it's funny, like, when people talk about 2020 being a really bad year, um, actually most of my, like, proudest personal accomplishments uh, in 2020 came out of Netrunner. And I had some good success at tournaments. Um, it, it just was, like... a a shockingly good year for me in Netrunner. Like, I can't believe what happened this year at some of my tournament wow. performances. So that was, like, one of my greatest highlights of 2020. Oh, that's great. <laughs> was at New Zealand Nationals and then at the World Championships in, in October. Wow. Really good things happened. So that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had some friends in New Zealand who played Netrunner and got me into Arkham Horror and liked other games. I really only just play these two games, but once in a while I'll play like kind of a party game. And a cool one that they showed me was called is called The Mind. And the premise is that you have like three to four players or two, and there's a deck of cards with numbers one through 100 on them. And everyone gets dealt uh, like five or six or seven cards. And without talking or communicating in any way, you have to lay cards down as a team starting at number one and going all the way up to 100 in sequential order without communicating. So if someone has one, they immediately play it on the table. But if you have like a five, you're like, what are the odds that someone has two, three, or four? Oh. So you might wait like three seconds, two, mm -hmm. slap it down. And if someone else has a number lower than that, they're like, oh, I had the four. And then you like lose a life. So you have to get in this kind of like weird zen flow together where you're all just like reading each other and like learning <laughs> about the cues and if the next number is like 30 digits up from the one that's played on the table sometimes you're sitting there for like two minutes and everyone's kind of like is this lowest <laughs> card that I have the next one we need so it leads to some like really dynamic and fun yeah. moments and there's like a lot of laughter and there's a lot of stress um simple game <laughs> but like really cool really fun idea really cool premise yeah um, that sounds great yeah and like quite cheap i think it's like 15 or 20 bucks to pick up mm -hmm. um okay. i had to play some like pretty hardcore like euro games this year like terraforming mars and eclipse and lisboa um that was kind of my year in, in games no one asked me my favorite video games so oh yeah i'm sorry uh, buddy uh <laughs> you've got a switch I, I did play your boys love the games what what did you guys hit well like a lot of people in quarantine animal crossing new horizons was released <laughs> and we did get multiple um islands and characters set up in animal mm. crossing and um 
you know, if you want to like add me as a friend on there, I've got a friend code. <laughs> And you can come and visit my island. We'll link to it in the show notes. And, um, I, I mostly just played Mario Kart for the past month. Oh, um, so good. And I'm not really even sure I how you get three, three stars the in the at 200, in 200 cc. 200 cc, it's brutal, man. Um, like I've been trying too for a fast, long time. but yeah, um, you got to break hard. I mean, I do have a list of podcasts, but like, you know, when you're talking there about all that uh, game stuff, Dave, I was like, man, Dave really cares about this. And like, I think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, for me, like the thing that I've, I've really gone way down the rabbit hole in 2020 on was really collecting field notes and pencils. And so right. I realized I, I have a top 10 pencils of 2020 Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but then I will Please. I will spare you because there's actually another podcast called Erasables that they have three hosts on that show and they all go through their top stationary products, including pencils and field notes and other assorted products. Um, so I would encourage you, if you want to hear that, go listen to Erasables podcast. They have a great website, great Facebook group community so me joining that community there's like five thousand people in the facebook group and you know that's awesome. extremely active and it started with me just being like wow i really like that pencil i think i'd like to get that one and then i was doing that like every day you know and i'm just like paypaling people <laughs> money around and i had to start keeping lists of like <laughs> probably 30 40 things that i had out and trading and uh, same with field notes. I was like, wow, that's a rare one. I've never heard of that one or seen that one. I, w I would like that. And then it just devolved into complete obsession. So that's, um, <laughs> that's awesome. If you're, if yeah, your Instagram stories are, are pretty lit with just uh, field notes stuff. It's it's, yeah. Uh, the other thing that they get you with is a lot of these are like quarterly subscriptions, right? So they're releasing new products all the time. And, um, there, every year there's like how would you rate you know the four quarters of this year products versus the year before and so there's a lot of that comparison mm -hmm. but if we're talking about plugging a podcast like honestly i would plug that one um era erasables um well when i was in austin you took Corey and i to the that japanese Kinokuna. stationery store yeah and oh mm -hmm. i just loved it that was so yeah. great i just wanted to buy so many pens and pencils well, i did and yeah. it reminded me of that weezer song um across the sea where he's like has the japanese pen pal fan and he talks about how fine their stationery is yeah like, yeah um, and actually really <laughs> now that you brought it up i just got this pencil called a gikoso which is uh from a Japanese stationery store in Tokyo called Gekoso. That's really an art supply store, but they make mm. all of their own products, including pencils. But cool. they really only make this one pencil that is an 8B. Like if you know the hardness scale, um, like HB is in the middle, 2B, 4B. Those are darker as you go more B. So 6B is very dark, like sketching pencil. And like almost the hardest you can get is like a 9 or a 10 HB. And so this is an 8B pencil. It's really like jumbo size. And mm. they really only huh. sell them. It's chunky. It's like a jumbo size. So they only sell them at their store in Tokyo or through a couple of other people who have like bought them up and resell them, um, including a store in New York, which is called 
CW Pencil Enterprise, CWPE, Caroline Weaver Pencil Enterprise. And that's is the, as far as I know, the only standalone pencil store in North America. Uh, literally, huh. that's what they sell as pencils. And it's in Manhattan. And uh, they're actually closed right now to renovate their whole store. But they have an amazing online store where you can buy Gekoso 8B. All right. And with that, does Robin um, O'Neill use those? No, she actually tried to give her a pencil one time, <laughs> and she was like, mm, "It's too heavy." Like, because she she uses a very light, um, really basic mechanical. Pen. It's a Pentel. Usually. The ones that she sells yeah. actually with her name on it. This is it says uh, Robin O'Neill. Ooh, the masses on I want it. that. Um, she sold it at her show, which <laughs> is a Pentel uh, P two hundred five point five millimeter. Yeah. Um, sounds about right anyways uh anything else my drawing from her is in the mail by the way you finally got it it's in transit well i haven't received it but it's in transit i'm tracking it that's awesome so robin thanks for sending that it's gonna be a big reveal when i get it i've had no spoilers from her whatsoever i have no idea what to expect um i want to ask i have one more thing that i want to bring up at the end but like i want to ask both of you like is there anything else to look back on like 2020 that you would like to mention or talk about that was meaningful besides the COVID and lockdown and all of that. I'm trying to think it's been a bit of a, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was nice to have a lot of time with, uh, with my daughter and with Rachel this year, certainly had a lot of chances to get sick of each other. Um, (laughs) and like I said, yeah, like dude, just net runner was just so, so on point this year that, that's what i'm gonna remember with the most fun <laughs> like, these two tournaments that, that i played in yeah 2020 is just kind of a blur now i am grateful that i was able to keep working during it um mm-hmm. and that i got yeah. to i guess finishing the thesis is yeah that's a big one. that's a big achievement grace yeah yeah, it was super anticlimactic though, because it was just like we don't have any ceremonies at the moment, so right. just went to the help desk and waited for thirty <sighs> minutes for some guy to hand it to me, and I was like, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> this is how you become a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I think like emotionally is a bit bittersweet for me leaving New Zealand this year for the last time, where it's like we kind of were back and forth, and then it's like saying bye to my friends is like, yeah, I just really don't know the next time I'm gonna be in southern New Zealand again you know maybe never so um I kind of have some like nostalgia for that I think yeah and I mean it was a great place to be in 2020 after the lockdown ended Mm. (laughs) life like pretty much went back to normal and still is uh pretty great for them down there I was like regaling them today on on our messenger thread of the woes of British Columbia right now like we just got another month tacked on to our like pretty heavy scale lockdown so i'm just like oh really wow i mean it's the right thing but it's just existentially a bummer you know to not see your friends Mm -hmm. at all for months at a time so yeah um i i i actually don't want to dwell too much on 2020 uh sure (laughs) but I, i will say if you've made it this far into our 16 of our special nine part episode then i have an offer for you which is that i have a brand new sticker 
with my signature phrase on it. You're fine, sir. And it's a holographic <laughs> sticker. I'm not even going to reveal it on camera, but it's uh, it's only about <laughs> this big. It's a new design. And uh, if you, yeah, would... I don't even have the holographic version. No, you. So this is like none of exclusive. you do. This is brand new. And if you would like a it. new, your fine sir sticker, um, email me after this comes out, and I'll send you the sticker that says you're fine, sir. Amazing, Matt Booker is truly the the postmeister general of the David Foster Wallace world. <laughs> <laughs> sends so much mail. It's, I don't know his budget for stamps is, but I it's got to be mail. at least in like the four four digits. Stamps.com. They're actually the sponsor of this podcast. We've been <laughs> put in a special promo code that's your fine, sir. Uh, you will get 0% off. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what get we can do. Get an error message. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Grace, where can people find you online? Do you do the Twitter? Um, do you do any any of those kinds of things where people can engage with really. you? Not really. Cool, I respect I that, did actually. Just, it's a good idea. Yes. I don't know. It, it makes me feel a bit ignorant sometimes, but um, <laughs> I did just like create another Twitter profile, but I kind of haven't like activated it or used it for anything. I do have Instagram, but honestly, like the easiest way to contact me is probably email. So like grace.chipperfield at flinders.edu.au. I'm quite responsive on that. Everything else is kind of a ghost town. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I respect that. Um, I will say one, one, another, I mean, bummer thing about 2020 that we just found out about um, after we recorded our last session with Matt and um, Chris Ayers was that our friend Jenny Baker, who's the episode nine guest, um, really sadly passed away from a rare form of brain cancer um, in November. And um, Matt, I think you came across the obituary on like December 17th or something. Um, and we knew that she'd been um, fighting that. I'd been seeing her posts on Facebook and stuff, and um, we're just really saddened to to lose Jenny from our community. Um, she was part of the Infinite Winter Read that that I was a part of. Um, I was on a panel with her at one of the ISU conferences about what it's like to lead uh, a fan online read. Um, so we just offer our deepest condolences to her family and to her loved ones. And it's a, a big loss for, for this community. So just wanted to, to mention that and that, uh, you know, we're thinking a lot about Jenny and, and her loved ones at this time. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Jesse Jones from the UK. She just finished her MA thesis on Wallace in Liverpool. And uh, she sent a great email to Matt and I this week of her favorites of the year, um, books and, and music and things like that. So she sent like a very robust detailed list, which was great. I loved reading it, wrote a big response. We'd love to hear from everybody else on theirs as well, as we previously, previously mentioned, Matt, where can people get in touch with us? Could cavity show at gmail.com. We do like getting those emails. Um, you know, feel free to follow us on Twitter. I are probably most active on Twitter, but we do post on Instagram at concavity show i think everywhere we're concavity show Le- yep. less so on facebook which is a right-wing propaganda machine um yeah i, har- I hardly <laughs> touch the facebook um, page except for the the erasables podcast group and the field nuts group are amazing <laughs> that's the only thing that keeps me on facebook is like if you want to trade rare mm. 
field notes or pencils. Literally, there's nowhere else in the world that beats this group. Um, Oh, yeah. That's the only reason I'm on Facebook is for, like, the Netrunner and the Arkham Horror groups there. Mm -hmm. And, like, the messages that I send with people from those communities, that's, like, about it. But, yeah, I'd love to get off Facebook, too. Someone's going to solve this problem, right? Someone will come up with, like, a group thing that is just for groups and... Yeah, Discord kind of does this. Yeah, especially for like video game and gaming community. So, Uh, as always, thank you so much to Robin O'Neill for your art associated with our show, to the band Parquet Courts, to our patrons, to everyone who listened, who hung in with us through 2020. We wish y'all a way better 2021. Grace, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's great to have you on and hear about your dissertation, your year in music, in games. Uh, loved hearing about that. Let's uh, stay on. I want to hear your thoughts on Last of Us 2 off the Hell record, yeah. non-spoiler version. Um, <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening for these 45 hours we've put you through. It's all right. We can edit this later. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. Um, it never gets edited, though. It always stays um, in. Yeah, that's the that's the funny thing about it, right? That's uh, that's one I, of our. I should ongoing, I should put a joke. caveat that I don't edit the podcast, so, um, so I do, and I intentionally. So leave I can those say that as willy nilly. Well, I would say you know, for me, when I was reading, because it's all about gags, you know. Uh, it's yeah. not all about gags. I take this real seriously. <laughs> uh. <laughs>